Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Gehring. And we're coming to you from Zoom. I thought you were going to say live from Zoom. And I was like, but we're not live. <laughs> it's not live. I, I was, it's funny, because I was going to say live from Zoom. And then I realized that that was inaccurate. And I thought, Bobby's going to give me crap for that if I say live from Zoom. <laughs> and you were correct. I did. Even though you, you didn't. Did, even it. though I didn't say it. As, so, you know, it doesn't matter if we're together or apart. It's just, you're still Bobby and I'm still Alex. This is our first podcast we've been recording since the world changed. We had a whole bunch in the book. It worked out really well for us, but now we're still can't meet in person together because it's not safe yet. And so we thought, you know what? Let's try it on Zoom, pull off the audio, and hopefully this sounds good for you guys. You know, it's funny. So as I, what's I been see- going on? Not a lot, other than like everything in the world. But but also, but but also, I see the uh, I see the pictures of us that uh, that were posted a couple weeks ago from from past episodes. And uh, first of all, I really liked seeing those. Always always good memories. But then I started thinking, gosh, look how close we are. We're like we're so close at this table, and our guests are only like a foot and a half away and we're spitting on each other and I'm like oh my gosh and I feel the same way every time I watch uh like for instance I've been re-watching The Sopranos for uh for this is like my fourth rewatch third or fourth rewatch um and those guys kiss like all the time like just all the kisses on the cheeks all of the embraces they're patting each other down everywhere I'm I'm being very animated because you all cannot see me still, just like usual. But um, but yeah, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, you know, this. What what are the what's the mafia doing? They can't kiss each other. Like this has to really impact, uh, you know, their relationships within the mafia as well. That's my thought. Yeah, that's my takeaway I'm, from this entire thing. Mafia, you're worried about the mafia <laughs> kissing. That's your takeaway. That's lovely. Okay. Really, I'm joking. It's a joke. Is it? Is it really? <laughs> what have you been racing? Hot Wheels. We're racing Hot Wheels. That's that. We weren't doing this on the last podcast, so this is new. So my husband came home one day with a great idea, and he's like, "Since we're not going to have live sports for any time being, I want to start every night on Facebook li- Facebook Live racing Hot Wheels." And I was like, "That's the dumbest thing ever." And then the very first night we did it, we had like. 300 views and a whole bunch of comments. And I was like, crap, now we actually have to race Hot Wheels. And so every single night, except for one night, um, since I think it was March 19th was when we started, uh, we have raced Hot Wheels live on Facebook. And we've probably spent every dollar I've made during that time on Hot Wheels. So well, and most recently, you you brought in a uh, a guest who walloped you. Um, all of your cars got got beat. Yeah. So we brought a guest into our home. We properly social distanced did it, and uh, he brought old school Hot Wheels from back when he was a child. And he's went to school with my husband, so we've got to be forty four, forty five. And almost all of our Hot Wheels are newer Hot Wheels. We haven't been up to the farm to get Ryan's out of the attic yet. Don't know why. Anyways, the old school Hot Wheels are better than new school Hot Wheels because they were made out of metal. And the new ones are made out of plastic. And they just, they go down the track a lot faster. But 
We have sold, here's the deal. We've sold so many of those tracks for Target. Target is now sold out and has taken it off their website. Just saying. Wow, it is, it is actually really cool. You'll have, you have to tune in and watch Bobby's live mm -hmm. uh, Hot Wheels races. And of course, Alex, Bobby's son, is, is adorable as always in the, in the videos. And he likes to count them down. And it's a good time. We've been doing Hot Wheels races. My son has been doing Zoom violin lessons. And he just had his first online recital. That was on Saturday. They played that. He's got a 45-second little piece. Um, but he was critiqued for the first time, which was really really nerve-wracking as a parent knowing I'm recording a video sending it off to a judge but he got good scores so that's good I don't know. that's and then, awesome and then I'm homeschooling are you homeschooling Charlie is she old enough to be homeschooled yet so yes um so she goes to uh typically she goes to a Montessori school and so when she came when we were home with her both my wife and I are working you know full-time with a two-year-old Mm -hmm. which is, you know, impossible, but we actually made it happen. It kind of became a new normal. But uh, so Charlie, we, we had all of these different books and all these things and stickers and all this stuff. And then she, I don't know, she's, it's amazing. I, I know every parent says this about their kid, but she's so smart. <laughs> it's, it's amazing watching what like every day, even though she wasn't in school, you know, we didn't feel like total failures as parents. Because I feel like over the last two months, she's been learning all sorts of new skills and like her speech is getting really good and um, it's, it's really fun. Uh, so I don't know. It, yeah, we were sort of homeschooling, but uh, she was pretty much self-paced and she, she did it herself. It was good. She learned how to entertain herself, which was the biggest blessing of the entire thing. Because Sarah and I finally were able to work while she's like, off messing with her matching game and so it was it was fun and that still no screens we also made it through this whole thing without her ever touching one of our phones an ipad or anything like that so we're doing i feel pretty good about that because it came we came close multiple times that's kind of impressive because my child has lots of screen time and i'm not I'm, and i'm actually okay with that that is one of the coolest parts of being a parent though is when your child gets independent enough that they can go off and entertain themselves and you don't have to constantly you know but you talked about getting into a routine and i think that's kind of how we were alex had a zoom with his teacher every day at 10 a.m um he would sometimes get assignments on a thing called seesaw and then i bought him a website i didn't buy the website but i bought him a subscription to a website called education.com and on there, they have a, an app for the kids and they can do math assignments, they can do reading and writing. And so he's actually gonna finish today, he's actually gonna finish second grade for all of his reading and writing and for math. And he's just entering second grade in the fall. So, but I had to have a system. So we would work for an hour each day and then he'd get, or we'd work for an hour, he'd have an hour to go play, watch YouTube, play Fortnite. That's the kind of mom I am to a seven-year-old, I'm cool with it. And then we would come back and work again for another hour and then he would go play for an hour but one of the things so my husband's life has been really really normal during all this um he's a landscaper he does spraying and fertilizing and he still gets up in the morning goes out to work comes home for lunch goes back out comes home for dinner goes to bed you know his life hasn't changed in any way but me having the more flexible schedule i've been the one that's in you know whatever well, early on, we got accused of that we were just on vacation and we weren't accomplishing nearly enough things during the days and he wasn't here to see. And I don't take kindly to someone telling me I'm not doing enough and I'm 
also passive aggressive. So I went out to, um, I did a pickup order at Target and I bought a big whiteboard. And there are six categories at the school. So I put all six categories at the top and then there were five at the bottom and made a, a basically a matrix. And each day, what we do in each category, I fill it in and that stuck. We even have a PE class every day. I fill that sucker in and at the end of the first week, he was like, oh, I guess you are doing a lot more than I realized. I was like, uh-huh. It's almost like, a, and I would spend about an hour a day preparing what's going to be our science lesson today. What's our social studies lessons today. But it was important to me that my child had some sense of normalcy through all of this. That we just didn't play video games and, you know, get screen time the entire time, but it's stressful. It really, and still trying to sell some real estate occasionally to make some money. I don't know. Apparently that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> And I guess this is a good time to throw out there that um, our advocacy team, I mean, all everybody at KCRR and HMLS has been awesome, but I, to see what our advocacy team has had to go through with the orders, uh, with constant updates there, and then the state order uh, on the Kansas side trumping everything, and, um, you know, I... I, to see how they've handled all of these updates, uh, I'm, I'm really proud to be uh, part of uh, KCRER and HMLS. Well, and what a lot of people, you know, don't realize is the staff, not just the advocacy staff, but especially the advocacy staff, they were working until midnight and back at it at 6 a.m. the next morning. I know because I was a part of the text messages that are going on and I'm like, holy God, guys, go to bed, do something but they knew that we had to work hard. We had to work quickly. We had to, you know, fight for everything, you know, and even sometimes when we fought and were declared essential, still sometimes some of our, some of our people got a little crazy. They asked too many questions, especially in Wyandotte County. And then Wyandotte County says, no, we're going to shut you back down. And then the Kansas order superseded everything. So it was fine again, but sometimes no matter how hard our team worked, it was for not anyways. But it's been amazing to be a part of the entire process. Yeah, well, and I appreciate everything that you and, and Michael have done. I, I give Michael a, a hard time because uh, Michael, president of uh, Heartland, I, I give a hard time because, yeah, Michael Pierce. Uh, <laughs> I, I give you guys a hard time because your year, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to D.C., right? I, New Orleans is kind of sort of up in the air. Yeah, and and then we've got lots of lots of other trips that are typical that are up in the air, and uh, mm -hmm. you guys are having to do it all through Zoom. So I keep telling Michael his year sucks, mm -hmm. and <laughs> I want to redo. But you you guys are handling it all really well, and I'm glad that it's the two of you that are um, at the at the wheel. So thanks for thanks for all of your late nights and for all the broker meetings that you guys have been doing and. Um, I know that it's been a lot for, for leadership as well as staff. So we, I have to ask if you have a book bit. I got a book for you. Now we talked about another book um, by this author. It was over a year ago. So the book I'm going to talk to you about today, it's The Mind Body Prescription by Dr. Sarno. This is the same guy that wrote the Healing Back Pain book. I have been talking to so many friends lately who are dealing with all kinds of different issues with their body. And a lot of it's due to the stress that we're feeling right now, the uncertainty of what's going on. And I've had several friends read the healing back pain. And I had a couple other friends who don't necessarily have back pain, but they've got some other just physical issues that are showing up out of nowhere. And almost all of them are finding some relief. And this book just basically talks about 
the connection in your body between stress and um, physical pain, that your body will create this physical pain so it doesn't have to deal with the stress or it can push the stress off. So it's a great book. Um, I could read what it says on the back, but I'm not. But I mean, it's something as simple as migraines. I know a lot of friends have been dealing with a lot of migraines lately, and this book is really helping with it. So it says, Healing the Body, Healing the Pain. So Mind Body Prescription by Dr. Sarno. There's your short, I'm not going to give you the three points because I didn't take time to think about it ahead of time, but the, the, the line here at the top says, he has cured thousands. I highly recommend. So there you go. There's your line right Boom. there. Oh, you're good. Oh, there's a, wait, 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 there's a Howard Stern quote on the back. Oh, what did Howard, what did, what did our boy Howard have to say about it? Here's what Howard had to say. My life was filled with excruciating back and shoulder pain until I applied Dr. Sarno's principles. And in a matter of weeks, my back pain disappeared. I never suffered a single symptom again. I owe Dr. Sarno my life. Howard's good. Alex, who is our guest? She's Today, from and, and we, keep on, we keep on building this thing up, but I feel like the guest is probably in the title of the podcast, so everybody already knows anyway. Oh. And so we're like trying to build this thing up, but our, our guest is Representative Sharice Davids, and we're really excited to have her. Um, and uh, we're going to get to learn just a little bit more about her life, uh, some of the things that she's, um, she went through early on, um, and kind of her approach to representing us in Washington, D.C. Um, so, um, yeah. If you're a Missourian and you're like, who is Congresswoman Sharice Davids? She is a representative of Kansas's third congressional district. And she is absolutely amazing and i think you're gonna enjoy getting to know her a little bit better enjoy the interview continental title company has been providing exceptional title and escrow services for real estate and lending transactions since 2001. locally owned and operated for almost 20 years they have 13 convenient locations for buyers and sellers across the kansas city metro they pride themselves with having an experienced and knowledgeable staff who is always ready to handle your transactions with ease and professionalism. With every transaction, their goal is to make sure you, the realtor, shines every time. They can save your clients money with their no-seller closing fee and competitive rates. Continental Title can also save you time and energy with their online earnest money deposits, their mobile app that can create customized marketing pieces, as well as calculate closing costs and proceeds in seconds. And did I mention you can send them documents by adding them to your loop? Continental Title thanks you for your business, and if they haven't had the privilege to work with you yet, they look forward to seeing you at the closing table very soon. Visit their website, ctitle.com, for more information. Happy selling! Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. Bobby and I are Zoom conferencing with Representative Sharice Davids on the Kansas side. Representative Davids, how are you? Hi, good morning. I'm doing, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing just fine. I am still in my home. Uh, I haven't quite gone back to work yet. And uh, Bobby, I think it looks like, are you, are you still at your home as well? I'm still in my home as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. To go? Yeah, I was going to say, when do you get to go back to, to uh, your physical workspace? 
You know, I'm not really sure yet. Um, I know that as things start to uh, basically, you know, quote unquote, open back up, um, our office is just going to keep uh, reevaluating and um, doing whatever we can to just make sure that uh, our team members are safe and then making sure that if we are going to have people coming in that there's you know all the protocols to make sure that folks are safe but for now I think that our virtual uh, we've been doing virtual pop-up hours and just you know helping constituents in any way that we can uh, virtually and remotely and it it feels like it's working pretty well. Good. You know, I, I felt pretty decent about the way that our virtual uh, attempts and ventures okay. have gone, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Alex. You know, as badly as I just want to go hug someone, and everybody's getting all the hugs when all of this is done. I've warned <laughs> everyone and everybody. I do feel really connected to a lot of people across the country that I wouldn't normally see as much as I've been seeing lately. Um, yeah. You know, we've been doing a lot on Marco Polo and probably too much on Marco Polo. <laughs> it gets to be a little too much, but I'm really, you know, I've had friends I've just seen like daily that I normally would see just when we go to our DC meetings. And I think we pulled off our state meetings and our national meetings, you know, beautifully. So I love that we can all sit in our homes and yet we can podcast together right now. Yeah. This is so exciting. Yeah. Um, Therese, we really want our members and any other members of the public that might actually listen to this podcast to get to know you a little bit better. And like I told Amber before we started today, I came up with a new question in the shower today. And so oh. you're, <laughs> you're the very first person to get this question. I apologize, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I know Alex and I were often asked for our bio, so I can only map imagine how many times you're asked for your bio and I know staff already has that prepared for you but I also know how much we dread putting a bio together and listing mm -hmm. those things that are most important or supposed to look good when you think about your bio what's the most important thing in there what do you want people to really know who's the real Cherise and where do you pick up your little bit of personality um, in your bio you know for the personality piece it's really interesting because um it almost always gets thrown in at the end um, as kind of like, oh yeah, and this. Uh, so I've been a martial artist since I was like 19. And um, I don't know when you'll air this. So Friday is my birthday and I'll be 40. So that's a lot of years. Um, and club. it's not so bad. <laughs> uh, and and I, I feel like that's actually, it had such a huge impact over the course, especially of my 20s when, I mean, those are pretty formative years. And I just learned so much from uh, learning martial arts uh, about just growing as a human. And, um, you know, that part is at the, oh, it actually isn't always in my bio, but uh, sometimes it is, it'll say something like David's has also uh, David's is also an avid martial artist and has competed professionally and amateur and as an amateur or something like that. But uh, considering it's almost always just one line, it's kind of funny because it's a, it's actually a huge piece of my uh, identity. So that's probably the thing that I would say. And so for folks who do martial arts, they'll probably be wondering, well, what martial arts? Um, so I started off doing capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art. It's actually where breakdancing came from. 
and it's a mixture of music and uh, dance and uh, and fighting. And it it originated in in Brazil when uh, slaves were not allowed to practice any type of uh, martial art, and so they disguised it with dance and music elements. Uh, so it's very it's very pretty. It's an amazing workout. Um, and then, and then I started doing a combative style of Taekwondo and then I got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and now Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is my like main thing. Uh, I had a back, a lower back injury, um, that I was doing physical therapy for. So I wasn't training. And then literally I went by the gym and was like, okay, next time I come back from BC, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start coming to classes and talk to the instructor. And then uh, the next time I came back, we were in a global pandemic. And now, and jujitsu is kind of like wrestling. So you, there's definitely not uh, jujitsu happening unless people are in isolation together. <laughs> Social distance when you're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, can you tell us a little bit more about how uh, martial arts has, like, you said that it, that, that you really got started with it when you were kind of in very formative years of your life. How has that influenced uh, your approach to public service and uh, your approach to life in general? Um, you know what's really interesting? So, uh, because Capoeira is a mixture of music and, and uh, dancing and martial arts, I think a lot of times when when you think about what it's like to learn a martial art, you probably imagine, you know, the little kids in their geese and their little white outfits with a yellow belt around their waist and they're punching and they're like, ah, 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 and they do one punch, two punches. And then, you know, they kind of like in lockstep move down a mat or something. Uh, Capoeira is nothing like that. It, it is, um, it's a lot of flowing, expressive, dance-like movements. And I think one of the first things I realized when I started, and you, and you have to sing, <laughs> um, which I love singing, but I also don't love people hearing me sing. So, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those times when I realized how much as adults, we forget what it's like to learn something brand new that makes us uncomfortable. But when you're a little kid, everything you do is brand new. And um, kids, the, the approach that kids have to capoeira and the approach that adults have is so interesting because kids, you, when you tell them like, okay, now you clap and you sing and uh, just sing loud, even if you're not positive what the words are and just try, you know, and when you're moving, like really like put your expression into it. And then adults are like, okay. And they're, bar they're barely moving and they're like doing exactly the arm movement that they think it's supposed to be, but without a whole lot of like, expression of who they are or what you know their creativity but kids are just like they're all over the place and they don't they don't have that sense of people are gonna well I mean depending on the age a lot of times I mean we're all doing the same thing in class so it's not like oh no I'm gonna look weird or I'm gonna and they just try it and it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and they just keep trying to learn um and I remember during that, I was like, I need to approach everything the way kid a kid would and just like, it's okay if I mess up four times, five times, 10 times, eventually I'm gonna get it. Um, and I, I mean, and that's for everything from college classes to 
um, trying to learn how to do things on the job to, I mean, it just, it impacted the way I thought about learning. And then it also impacted, so I eventually, I did mixed martial arts. Um, I competed and I had six amateur fights and two professional fights. And the like gearing up for a fight is, it's so interesting how similar it is to, to running a campaign. Um, because first of all, you ha you have to do it every day. So you have to get up and go to the gym. You know, I would get up at five in the morning and drive to the gym and do whatever kind of hard cardio intensive, you know, training that I needed to do. And then I would go to work. And then at night I would go back to the gym and basically get beat up for like two hours. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you learn a lot about your ability to overcome things when you're when you're doing that because you know it's going to hurt but you still show up anyway because you also know you're going to learn and you're going to get better and this is how you prepare to win a fight and for campaigning it's like you're not physically getting beat up um <laughs> it's not physically getting beat up but you know i mean it's not it's not the easiest thing to every day get up and go put yourself out there you're doing something that's uncomfortable and you know i mean like like every topic it's not just politics like we don't all agree on everything all the time and being able to be in those uncomfortable conversations or to um be in front of a whole bunch of people and do public speaking i mean those are all things that you know you, you know you have to get up and do them every day it just is part of you know i decided to run for office and these are the pieces that are part of that and i think that it helped, it helped me see that uh, it, you, just, you just have to push through the discomfort. Uh, and then it also helped that I was like, well, I'm not getting physically beat up every day, so that's good. <laughs> I love it. That, that is so, I feel like that's so relatable to what we have to put up with uh, in, in general. I, 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 I'm a performer as well, and so I got a degree oh. in uh, musical theater from, uh, the, from Kansas University or University of Kansas. I get beat up no matter which way I say it. <laughs> but again, you feel like you have to get up and whatever you go through, however the performance goes, it is what it is. Some people are going to love it. Some people aren't. And you just learn to, you learn to push on. It's amazing what those things like martial arts or theater or music or whatever you're engaged with, it's amazing how they uh, form the way that you conduct yourself and the lessons that you learn from those things and how you apply them through the rest of real estate. I mean, you know, the idea of, um, it's not, I know it's not a perf performance or necessarily doing a ton of, I mean, it can be public speaking, I'm sure, but, um, it, it's, it's still putting yourself out there. It's still trying to connect with people and, uh, get a sense for, what it is they're looking for, get a sense for all kinds of things. And then, and then you chance, uh, you chance rejection and nobody wants to feel rejection. Um, even if, even if you've, uh, you know, conditioned yourself to, to recognize, you know, I might be uncomfortable, but I think, I mean, I think that being a real estate agent is, there's a lot of similarities there. Was that you brought up a couple of points that we talk to realtors about when we're teaching them how to grow their business. And the very first ones, you've got to fail forward. Make those mistakes, <laughs> learn from them, but you keep moving forward. And the other one yeah. is you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
the more mm. uncomfortable you are, the more that you're growing. You know, Alex is the musician of the group. I'm the, I don't, don't know if I'd say athlete of the group, but I'm the marathoner. I did a 48 mile race back in Goodness. whatever month that was. I've lost track of it. Um, and, and you fail a lot in that. You have a lot of pain, but you grow through that pain. And it's the same thing in real estate. You put yourself up for failure and being rejected every single day, just like you do in politics. You put yourself up on the yeah. chopping block of people to go, mm, not today. Yeah. And so we, we grow through this. Um, when you chose to go into politics, what was that thing that made you decide to go into politics? Being mixed martial artist, what else were you doing or was that everything? And what was the transition? Um, so I think there were, like a lot of things, there were a lot of pieces to the puzzle, but I do, I do remember feeling as though there were, there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of great people who are in our federal government in leadership positions. Um, there's also a lot of, um, uh, diversity of experience that's missing from some of the highest, you know, highest levels of decision-making. Some of the things that I usually like to point to are uh, things that I actually feel like in my experience are just, they're not uncommon experiences. Uh, you know, I was raised by a single mom. So this is my bio piece, right? So I was raised by a single mom. I started off at Johnson County Community College. I'm a first generation college student. And, you know, I started off with an associate's degree at Johnson County Community College and then uh, got my bachelor's at UMKC and altogether that took me eight years and I worked the entire time I was in school and um, you know I, I often say that you know the, not, the, none of those things are uncommon experiences it's not uncommon to work while you're in school it's not uncommon for you know we're always told uh, you're supposed to go to college and it's supposed to take four years um, you know, I, there are a lot of reasons I not, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was working, um, that it took me four years to get an associate's degree. It's not, it's not uncommon at all for, uh, for people to work and go to school at night. Um, and I think that a lot of those kind of experiences, uh, are the things that I, I just felt like I spent a, a year in Washington, DC as a white house fellow. And the entire time I was out there, um, there was some stuff that maybe only I would have uh, noticed from a prof professional standpoint because I'm because I'm a lawyer that had done community and economic development with uh, Native American communities. Um, so there was stuff around that, but there was also things that I just was like in a room and people were talking about things that I was like, that's just not how real life works. Uh, not ev not every not everybody went to. Uh, Ivy League school or went to private school when they were growing up or can, you know, can get to where they're going uh, really easily because not everybody can afford to fix their car. If like, if your transmission goes out, <laughs> you know, and, and um, sometimes I would be asking questions while I was out there and I just realized how, uh, how many, how many experiences were just not being, um, asked about being brought up uh, w while I was out there. And I, th I think that that combined with, um, you know, just feeling like uh, of the people who were running, I felt like, you know, I have federal experience. I've got a law degree. Um, 
I was trying to find a woman to get into the race. And I was actually like calling people and I was like, hey, have you ever thought about running for Congress? You should run for this seat. And then after a little while, I, I literally was like, wait, if I'm asking all these other people to try to do something, I feel like I should, I should figure out if I'm gonna be part of answering that question. And I think that, you know, it's a mixture. I'm sure there's a number of other things that are in there, but those are kind of the two big things that I think about. So I just want to say, because I love getting to know you. I love, we, you know, we had that phone call back before the world changed. Um, mm. I'm loving it. It feels like a lifetime ago. And I know it wasn't actually that long ago. But it feels like it was forever ago. But as someone who grew up with a single mom, was the first to go to college mm. and worked herself through college, that's me. That's my story. So oh, I love hearing it. people say that, that's just like, it feels so good to know there's someone who came forward to represent our voices. You have a lot of other diversity groups that you represent, but as someone who's just used to, no offense, Alex, the old white guys that are running the world, it's so refreshing to see someone say, we need to step up, we need to make a stand, and there are a lot of voices that are not being represented. So I, I love that, thank you. Alex is smiling at me. It's fine. He's used to me making fun of him. Alex, I'm not old. I can't. I mean, I know that. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I was like, I'm not. I'm not. We're not in person, but I'm pretty sure Alex is. I mean, I imagine you're younger than I am. He's a baby. He's like in his twenties. Okay. Fine. I am. In my 20s. That's, that is true. Thanks, Bobby. I could be Alex. I could literally be your mom. It's fine. No worries. I. What? Stop. <laughs> Irrelevant. 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 It's fine. <laughs> so you went to Johnson County Community College to get your associates. I'm curious, did you, um, where did you live within our district while you were doing Johnson County Community College? Oh man, I feel like I moved all over, uh, which I think is kind of, I was wondering too, some, when I was in my uh, 20s, if I was, if I, if it was a holdover from my mom being uh, in the army and us moving every few years when I was uh, little because you know I was so my mom retired while she was stationed at Fort Leavenworth and I ended up uh, going to I actually went to KU um, for two semesters but I was driving back and forth because I was working at Sonic in Leavenworth I had been work I started working there when I was in high school and I was an assistant manager and so I would drive back, uh, which was a lot. But um, so when I went to Johnson County Community College, I lived uh, with my mom for a little while in Shawnee. I also lived in KCK um, for just for a year, though. Um, I actually, I, I a lot of times I'm like, I don't, I don't run around saying, oh, I lived in KCK for a little while uh, until we get a little further into it, so that people don't think I'm trying to uh pretend that i'm you know uh like i think sometimes people are like oh yeah i'm from there and it's like well you lived there for a couple of years i don't know if that really counts but um yeah i lived in strawberry hill uh, uh during part of that time too so it was uh, a lot of driving i feel like i spent a lot of time driving and commuting to to johns county community college and then i was working at um uh, the Sonic and Olathe, actually both the Sonics. I think there's three now, but I worked at two of the Sonics and Olathe. Yes, I 
escape. Again, I wonder escape. how many people in DC can say that they worked. I, I mean, everything that you said before is so true. I wonder how many people in DC can actually say that they worked at a Sonic while they were going to community college and uh, and now they're representing all of us and the people who have had to go through those experiences. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I mean, it's it's really interesting to um, you know, it's not it's not as if I sat down. Well, I guess it's probably pretty clear, right? I didn't sit down and map out. Okay, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to run for Congress. Um, but I, I definitely feel as though every, everything I did uh, prior to this has given me some kind of um, insight or uh, recognition of places that I need to be trying to listen to, if that makes sense. Places and people. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think about how uh, I actually, during this pandemic, I was uh, talking to uh, my partner the other day and I was like, you know, every, until I went to law school, every job I had ever had was exactly the kind of things that are getting hit the hardest. Um, And I didn't have, there were a number of years that I didn't have healthcare. Um, There were, uh, because I was working like two part-time jobs, you know, I was doing, I was a banquet bartender down at the Marriott on on 12th Street and uh, delivering pizzas and uh, working at a wine company uh, as the warehouse and delivery person. You know, I mean, there were there were so many times where I was uh, just doing all of the things that I needed to do to make ends meet, and it's. Uh, it just has, you know, the the anxiety that people feel when they can't, when they don't know if they're going to be able to pay rent or keep their cell phone on or um, access healthcare. But to me, those are the kinds of things that we need people who, uh, who I feel very fortunate that I'm that I'm not in that position now. Um, but I do think it matters that. Uh, we have more people in Congress who understand the uh, impact that that can have and how important it is for us to figure out ways to help to help people and provide relief during this time um, and to ask those questions. Well, what if somebody what if somebody has the kind of job where they can't take any days off? What are we going to do about that? Um, I think those are the kinds of things that are, are really helpful uh, to bring to the table. And it stems from the experiences that I've had. Yeah. And it's, you have, you've been, you've had to be a hard worker all your life. Coming from single mom and, you know, working your way through college, you've had to be a hard worker. And yet that result has led to everything that you are today. I know we're running out of time, but I, I'm just curious. And this is actually, I think I'm stealing one of Alex's things. So Alex, I'm sorry. Um, no, but I would love to hear about what it meant to be an Obama fellow. Um, because that you've just come from, you've done so many amazing things that I would love to just pick your brain a little more. Um, that's an interesting question. I think that, you know, when I applied, when I applied to go to Cornell, um, I actually did it because I was participating in a program for Native Americans. 
and who are about to start law school. So I was going to go to UMKC. I applied to one law school and it was UMKC uh, because I had gone there for my undergrad. I was comfortable there. My family is here in Kansas City and, and I knew I was going to want to work in this area. And um, so it didn't even enter my mind to apply anywhere else. And while I was doing this program for Native students, the director of the program said, "You sh have you considered applying to other schools? And I was like, no, not really, because I want to stay. You know, UMKC is a good school. I want to stay in the Kansas City area. And she said, well, you should consider applying to Cornell. I literally was like, Cornell's not going to take me. And I was thinking about all the things that we were talking about earlier, you know, like it, it took me eight years to get a bachelor's degree. I like, I, I went to a community college. Um, I had all these like thoughts in my head about what somebody who went to a place like Cornell was like, and I didn't fit that mold. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I'm not saying they're for sure going to take you. <laughs> I'm saying you should apply. And uh, cause if you don't apply, then you're the one who decided that they're not going to take you. And I just remember, First of all, I was like, okay, okay, you're right. Uh, and then uh, it felt like a leap of faith, but I, I decided to apply and then I got in. And I remember feeling like, it. first of all, it felt kind of like a movie, like something you see in a movie where some like random poor kid goes to like an Ivy League school or something. And um, And I remember feeling like my life the trajectory of my life changed. Mm -hmm. And I used to think it was when I got into Cornell, but I actually, now I feel like it's when I decided to apply to Cornell that the trajectory of my life changed. And it's because I felt like the, that kind of block of like, oh, I, I, like, I wouldn't be able to do that or like, that's not for me or all the different things that you think. Um, I, I had shed that in some way, um, which I, I do believe is part of how I heard about the White House Fellowship when I was in my third year in law school, and I got the, uh, I got an email about it, and I read through, and I looked at the bios of all the people who were, who were White House Fellows at that time, and I remember thinking, well, I would never be a White House Fellow, and then, and then I never thought about it again for like, six years or however long it was. And, and one day it just popped into my head. I was like, Hey, I wonder, I wonder when the applications are due for that white house fellows program. Uh, because I had been doing work with the federal government and I was like, Oh my God, nobody knows how the federal government works. I should learn more about how the federal government works. And I thought about that and I looked at it again, you know, six years later or however long it was. And I was like, Oh, well, I could, I may as well apply. I've got as good a shot as anybody else. And um, it was like the, the process to be accepted is pretty rigorous. You have to do um, tons of like essays and fill out the application, which takes a long time. But then you get uh, selected to go to a regional panel. So I had to fly to Chicago and um, we did literally a day and a half of interviews with panels of three people who are all like, you know, I was talking to one of the interviewers at like a little reception they had for us the night before we started. And I was like, oh, so what do you do? And, and the woman said, oh, I was, a, uh, I'm, 
I, I'm a lawyer by training, uh, but I just recently uh, concluded a, uh, a bid for Congress, which is kind of funny now thinking about it. And I just was like, oh my goodness, she ran for Congress? And I think I literally like texted my mom and I was like, I'm talking to a lady who just ran for Congress. And, um, and then, you know, basically you have to think a lot about why you're doing what you're doing, what you're interested in, what your goals are. And even just the application process was like, it kind of felt like a life changing event and you meet all these people. And then when I was doing the program, once I got selected, I remember feeling like, how did I end up with this group of people? You know, it was uh, an astrophysicist who was like literally like 26. And she was like a astrophysicist who had done work with Harvard and MIT. And, um, and then, you know, there were five medical doctors. One of them is a doctor lawyer, um, uh, five active duty uh, military officers, um, the first woman who had run a intelligence operation in Afghanistan was one of them. I mean, it was just like, and then I'm like, oh, I'm the public interest nonprofit one. I, <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously all of us have our, the things that we brought to the table. And then we got the chance to meet with so many, like really interesting and amazing uh, leaders across the country. But I think the one that I remember the, the one that I remember the most, um, and I think it's because I grew up as an army brat, was uh, Colin Powell. So Colin Powell was a White House fellow, and he came and talked to our group. And I just, I remember being more nervous about meeting him than I was about our um, meeting that we had with the president. Um, and I just, because for me, he had like, I mean, I grew up when I was like six, seven, eight years old. He was like... You know, and here's my mom in uniform, and here's him in uniform running everything. So it was a really amazing experience. One of the things I noticed in your story at two different times in your life, you let a story you were telling yourself almost influencing you from moving forward and finding who you were meant to be. What other people, so often we believe in other people, but we don't believe in ourselves, and other people believe in us more. And it took both of those people. Well, one was an email and you remembered it six years later, but the, the professor was like, you should apply to Cornell. And I was like, oh, that's not for me. But that was just a story you were telling yourself. And so mm -hmm. often we stop ourselves from stories we tell ourselves. So thank you for sharing that. That just, guys, you got to keep moving forward. You got to believe in yourselves. Alex, I'm going to let you wrap it up and take this home. <laughs> well, I really appreciated getting an opportunity to hear more about your life and, and more about the things that Im have influenced you. Um, and it's just been a real pleasure. So we really appreciate um, having you on. Uh, Bobby always likes to end our interviews by saying, is there anything that uh, you, I'm, I'm going to steal Bobby's question. I, know, I like it. We're trading. It works. Is there, is there anything that we haven't asked you that we should have asked you? I'll close with two things. The first is I didn't mention this earlier and I should have. I took a real estate class at Johnson County Community College. I sat for the exam. I think, I, I don't remember if I passed the national but failed the Kansas or vice versa, but I passed one and didn't pass the other one, um, which I think is an interesting thing because um, then eventually I ended up going to like law school and that sort of thing. 
Um, so I didn't, I didn't let not passing that uh, professional exam keep me down. Um, but I think it's a funny, uh, it's just a, it's a funny fact. And then the second thing I would say is just that um, I appreciate being able to be on here with you all today and that we still get to connect even though we're all trying to make sure that people are staying safe. And uh, I always like to just kind of uh, publicly acknowledge the work that our frontline folks um, are, are, are doing, whether it's our healthcare, uh, our healthcare workers and healthcare professionals or you know the folks who are working at grocery stores and delivering things, um, or you know our, our postal service. Uh, there are so many people who are out there, um, you know, just out there every day, keeping keeping a lot of things moving. And um, yeah, so I just I appreciate that. I appreciate the work you guys are doing, and um, I'm really glad we got to do this. I am too. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule for us. This has been an absolute blast. And I'm pretty sure we could go for another hour if we wanted to. So um, we will let you go continue on with your day. But thank you so much for being a part of um, Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRAR. Thanks, Representative Davids. Thank you.